Okay, you know how the bar, the grilling went really well mm-hmm. the other day. Okay, this was quite a breakthrough because chicken had never tasted that good <laughs> on this planet before, before yesterday. And because it, it was Easter's and I felt really spiritually connected, I, I felt that. Was that you? Was that you <laughs> burping? Stomach. What happened? Do you think the microphone picked that up? Oh, I heard it. <laughs> I heard it so loud. It was it was absurd. It was just a rumble. Okay. Are you ready to rumble? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that going to be like the Clearly. whole show? 45 minutes? Of... Okay. Well, we'll just roll with the punches. That's fine. Uh, I wanted to start a cookbook hmm. for, for dads uh, to empower them, to let them know that the kitchen is their realm as well. Not to take it away from women, but rather to be allowed into the space. What do you think? I could get, I could get like the aprons that, mm. that have, you know, some, some kind of empowerment, um, design, some, some clever dra- graphic design. Um, mm-hmm. you're looking at me like I just, I, I'm just wasting your time right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think maybe some men do need that confidence boost. Yeah, because, to be, to be. because a lot of guys are pieces of shit and they're like, no, w- cooking's for the women, even the grilling. Well, I don't think you're going to reach those guys, but no. maybe um, men who are just a little bit afraid to, to take that leap. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to encroach on there. Well, something to think about, you know, maybe I could get shirts made. Maybe I could. <laughs> don't infantilize men. <laughs> <laughs> don't infantilize me <laughs> you know there's there's a lot of potential there in that idea so if you think the shirts would work i mean i you know can i be honest with you i don't really give a shit about cooking i just want to do the shirts i think it'd be really <laughs> really awesome if we uh-huh. could get some of that so the cookbook would the cookbook would just be a means to an end the end being shirts well i i who am i kidding can i can i get my shirt business now is that <laughs> a sense of, okay. the shirts for fuck's sake for shirt's sake, let's get the show on the road. <laughs> so do you hear the sound of that beautiful coal rolling truck down the street? Going around the corner? It's in surround sound right now. It's blowing me away. <laughs> and that was Oscar. He was probably biffing it off the table again. Was that him? Yeah. Wonderful. Oh. What's he... He's got his arm in the cabinet oh, door. Okay, you know, we're just going to try to wing it. It's, it's just, this topic is like, whatever, you know, I could give a shit about it. It's fine. Uh, let's. <laughs> Can you put him upstairs? Mm-hmm. Just lock him up. Lock him up like mm-hmm. Hillary. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Welcome, folks, to episode number 13 of Our Kids Asleep with. Maddie. And yours truly, Jay Alejandro. We want to talk about a couple of things tonight. Let's start off with... Ryan's toy review. This is a touchy subject, isn't it? Yeah. So, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia because I have my biased opinion of what it is, and so does Maddie. But I'm going to give you guys an unbiased, unfiltered account, according to Wikipedia, of what this show actually is. Most of you guys with kids have probably seen this already, so I'm going to... Do a brief introduction here. According to Wikipedia, Ryan's Toy Review is a children's YouTube channel. The channel features Ryan, who is seven years old as of December 2018, along with his mother, father, and twin sisters. His channel releases a new toy video every day. One of the channel's videos, titled 
Huge Egg Surprise Toys Challenge has over 1.8 billion views as of April of 2019, making it the 39th most viewed video on YouTube. The Verge has described the channel as a mashup of personal vlog and unboxing videos, a blend of innocent childhood antics and relentless, often overwhelming consumerism. Now, this is the shit that, that starts getting to me, okay? The, the financial stuff, mm -hmm. okay? According to Forbes magazine, in 2016-17, Ryan was the eighth highest paid YouTube entrepreneur, having brought in $11 million in revenue between 2016 and 2017. In 2018, he was listed as the highest paid YouTuber, bringing in $22 million of revenue from his videos and his product line at Walmart. That's one of his many endorsements. And the page goes on for quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> and this has been on our minds ever since we, we really started to try to find content for our kid. We've been online. YouTube is, has a plethora of different, different channels and different things that you could watch with your kid. There's a lot of really healthy options. But Ryan's toy review is something that still sticks in the back of our mind because, because of its, its excess and it's, it's just too extreme. And I, I often end up feeling bad for the kid himself. So I'm, I'm going to let you start off with it. You know, yeah. now that I've been ranting. I, um, I think we were in Target the other day and I saw that he had a line of toys, which I wasn't aware of. Uh -huh. And I just stood there looking at the end cap in disbelief and horror <laughs> at what I was seeing. Yeah. And I remembered that the first time we really ran into Ryan's toy review was when we were still using the YouTube kids app. Right. Recently, the YouTube's YouTube kids app has come under fire for a poorly working algorithm that is supposedly, it's a, it's a complete mess. It's supposed to filter out stuff that kids aren't, but it doesn't work. No. Ryan's toy review was very prevalent on the YouTube Kids app, and our son had seen some of the videos. We had watched some of the videos until we really, until we realized what was happening in these videos, and we instantly put a stop to it because it was, like that Wikipedia article said, rampant con consumerism. And when we were watching the videos, Ryan was maybe five. Or, yeah, this or was younger. about three years ago that we, we stumbled upon his videos. He, at the time, it was like, oh, here's a kid who's about our son's age. It's fun for them to watch that, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And obviously, you just have to watch one video before you realize the exploitative nature of these types of videos. Yeah, it's it's a lot to handle because, as as I say, the the kid here in, in the Wikipedia article and, and of course, in in the nature of YouTube, these kids at a young age are exposed to these kinds of videos and they immediately want to go to, why can't I do that too? And this is something that was quoted here in the article where Ryan was watching some of these unboxing videos and, and he asked his mom at like a mere four or five years of age, why aren't I doing that as well? Mm -hmm. What? Why can't I do that? And so I, I imagine that maybe his parents wanted to empower him or, or let him have a little bit of that limelight, but the way it's depicted in the show is just too extreme because they give him everything. Yeah. Everything that he wants or he could ever want. Is very spoiled, very spoiled child. Yeah. And to to the point of just it doesn't make sense. Yeah. How much this kid has. Like it's just it's absurd. Yeah. It the videos are 
obnoxious. They're kind of jarring. They're jarring. They're obnoxious. They're loud. They're there's a lot coming at you because it feels like it's it's sort of a, a dreamland scenario where yeah. where Ryan just kind of gets to do whatever the hell he wants, and and the parents are like, yeah, you go do whatever the fuck you want, mm -hmm. and that's really the the ex where the excess comes from is that there's no guiding light because the parents are in that insanity with him too yeah uh at least from when you hear the voices in the background and the the encouragement and all that stuff and this might sound like i'm completely going to town against this type of content on youtube but i gotta tell you there are good alternatives to this kind of material including uh we watch um turbo toy time yeah which I would say is is probably the better way to handle it. And it's, you know, they're not perfect, but there's more consideration for the kid, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that's the most disturbing thing about Ryan's toy review is that Ryan is clearly the product. Yeah. Yes, there are toys, there's unboxing, there's stuff everywhere, but Ryan is what they're selling. And to me, that is the most disgusting thing about it is that the parents are okay with that. They've just completely have been okay broadcasting their kid's journey. And completely you know, un unfiltered. I mean, there it is. Yeah. And as adults, they should know better. Yeah. You know, and I just, it, it's, it's an icky feeling to see that. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to see, like, the fucking Kardashian kids. Like, of course those kids are products. Like, that's yeah, all that's, those kids that's are. That's their life. You know, like, fucking, what's her name? The the oldest uh, Kim Kardashian's uh, child is on, like, the cover of a magazine at age five. Like, yeah. whatever. That's, that's their life, you know? Like, mm -hmm. they're Kardashians. But, like, these people, they're, like, normal people. Mm -hmm. And they've just skyrocketed to YouTube fame. Which is using their child, which is pretty much the one thing that everyone craves and desires in this day and age to be YouTube famous, to be a content creator, to share their their brand, whatever that may be. In this case, it's been so successful that now they're branching out into into just about any kind of facet of, of childhood accessory that you can imagine. There's a toy line. There's other kinds of sponsorships. There's, I know a, there's a Nickelodeon show. And the Nickelodeon show, all tailored to to this this weird experiment. And it like like you say, I do feel a bit icky, but more than anything, I feel sorry for the kid because down the road he's not gonna have any autonomy about his personal life. Uh he's just going to be in the public sphere and he never had a say about it. Yeah. You can't make that choice at five years of age no that you're gonna be that well and at five or even younger i think i don't know if it was five i think he might have been younger than that right but you don't have the wherewithal at that age to understand what you're consenting to yeah you know yes he may have wanted to do these unboxing videos that he was watching on youtube but he doesn't understand – he didn't understand at that time and maybe he still doesn't really grasp at seven. How could you yeah. grasp the the level of exposure that he is experiencing at this point? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be extremely interesting 10 years down the road when Ryan is dealing with what internet fame means as you go into adulthood. When you've been famous yeah. from the time you're four years old or five years old. How is that going to affect that kid? 
you know, as he gets older and, and develops his own sense of autonomy. And Well, he's not going to have a normal life. Plain no, and simple. Yeah. He is going to develop into that stratosphere of stardom. Yeah. He's That's going to be the sort of elite thing that maybe his parents wanted for him. They They wanted him to have everything. And if this kind of YouTube experiment brought that for him, then sure, I guess maybe they were willing to make that sacrifice for him. But he didn't make that choice. No. Ultimately, maybe he will he will look back and say, hey, you know, I just had to make a couple of YouTube videos for like five, ten years and now I'm home free. Now we don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Because they're raking in the millions. But it's hard to say. It's hard to say what the outcome of that will be for, for a young mind. Well, and we're we're at a point where there is no precedent for this kind of fame. For this. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's like child stars, you know, like we've seen what child's, you know, how the arc of child stars lives can play out, both Mm -hmm. for the worse and for the better. But we've never seen what internet fame Uh can do to someone who started that young, you know, and now we're getting to a point where those kids are going to be, you know, adults in 10 or 15 years. And we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen to those kids, you know, if it's going to turn out okay, or, you know, if they're going to maybe go down those same paths that other child stars have, you know, substance abuse. Well, let's hope that there's a support system. And and granted, I don't, I didn't bother watching enough videos because of the nature of the show. Mm -hmm. But the few videos that I watched, it's hard for me to tell how much of, of it the parents are really committed to just making the videos fun and making him be like unlimited and free in all of his his videos or if they're in real life kind of reining it in a bit and and maybe trying to give him a sense of reality i don't know but i i hope that for his sake that there's a little bit of a support system with a dose of reality there so that he's you know so that the kid is safe yeah and like we said there are like healthier alternatives if you're interested in watching videos like that, or if your child is interested in watching videos like yeah. that, um, Turbo Toy Time, you know, and I don't, I really haven't done a lot of research on these types of videos because I would just prefer our kid didn't watch them at all. <laughs> yeah. But the ones that I can stand and that I don't feel are completely toxic, Turbo Toy Time is a toy channel with the father uh, and son duo. Yeah, the father and son duo, um, and they unbox toys. They do one toy an episode. Yeah, it's, it's just like, one toy. It's not like the excess of yeah, one story. Yeah, and review. it's like one video a week. And generally what they do is they'll buy the toy, they open it, they play with it, they make a video with it, and then they donate the toy, um, which I think is a really great model. It's sending a good message. Yeah. They, they have that awareness, and, and the kid seems to be... Well adjusted. Up okay. and, yeah. yeah. And really the only other videos that we allow him to watch are Twenty Trucks, mm-hmm. which is a great musical It's pretty much videos about construction like vehicles and then they put they like write these really catchy pop songs about yeah. each vehicle. They just make a montage. It's a montage. It's brilliant. For, yeah. It's really great. Uh other than that, maybe a couple of like monster truck videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's always under supervision. And this brings me back to the the YouTube algorithm and how poisonous it could be because it, it has had an excessive amount of trouble trying to filter out the things that are not, not okay for kids. The problem is that it's not videos that you would expect. 
to get through the cracks. You know, like there's not explicitly the, some of the videos that are getting through the cracks and the reason that YouTube got in trouble for this was some of the videos were on the surface. They look like kids videos, but if you watch them, it's clear that they are either sexually suggestive in nature or violent or just not right in some way. Mm-hmm. And those were getting in under the radar and kids were watching them. And, you know, obviously parents were very upset. Yeah. And we, I think we let him have the, the YouTube kids app for just a couple of months. It I wasn't mean, very long. It wasn't on there very long, but he was always supervised. Yeah. I don't think I ever no. let him, let him get to have the phone unless he was supervised just because, you know, I, I just, I'm paranoid. Yeah. I'm incredibly paranoid of the internet. And while I understand that sometimes that's, the little break that we get as parents to to give the child the phone or the tablet or whatever, that's something that we got to take consideration of. Is it, just the fucking algorithm is just doing its own thing. Yeah, do it not. It doesn't know. And that's I think that's something that parents should be aware of. Is just because it says YouTube Kids does not mean it's a perfect system, and the technology is not perfect. So do yeah. not rely on the algorithm to filter what's happening on the you know yeah. what's coming on the screen. Because you, you want to make sure that your kid has the right kind of, of content coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just something that parents our age have to be aware of, you know. That no other generation had to deal with before. Yeah, all, they had, filtering, to, all they had filtering. to filter was, was on TV, you know. Yeah. And that's easy. That's just one button. Turn it off. But right. now kids go fucking batshit crazy if you take away the, the iPhone or whatever that's in front of them. It's making them insane, yeah. but it's making us insane too because we have a dependency on the phone. Our whole our whole generation and the generations after us are just one big experiment, <laughs> and in thirty <laughs> or forty be... years, we're going to figure yeah. out what went wrong. Yeah, but you know we're in it, so let's just enjoy this the is ride. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> let's live stream the shit. Yeah, it don't matter. Yep. So anyway, in our opinion, I'm not gonna give ryan's toy review a tank because i think it's terrible they so. they have enough money they're going to be okay without yeah. the tank they're they're fine on their merry way but we advise against watching ryan's toy review there's other good options yep Choose lots of good options. options well fuck it fuck ryan's toy review let's move on to a potential tank uh we're talking about the newly released and partially <laughs> redacted molar report I got to tell you, when I was I was out of town for work, for whatever reason, I was compelled to turn on the news. And I hadn't looked at the news all day because I had been traveling. And as I sat there enjoying my my leftover uh, hibachi chicken, which was amazing, by the way, I was totally bombarded with the news that on Thursday morning, there was going to be a release of the redacted Mueller report as promised by Attorney General bar and sure enough you know there there's this whole anticipation i watched it for like three hours just sort of them trying to figure out what it was going to be or or just because speculation yeah the speculation the breathless speculation the pageantry of the 24-hour news cycle i just couldn't get enough of it for whatever reason so wednesday night i felt like a real grown-up i made a plan that i would get up early have some of that awesome continental breakfast and then run right back just in time for the release. And sure enough, I woke up about three times in the middle of the night because I was just so excited <laughs> that I was going to get to read the Mueller report. 
uh, which I actually haven't read because I'm a grown ass person who doesn't have time to sit down and read 450 pages of stuff. But alas, there I was and I watched the, um, the press conference live mm -hmm. that the attorney general did upon releasing the, the Mueller report. So what I'm getting at is that for the last couple of days, this entire event is so unprecedented that it really kind of gripped me throughout the whole thing. I felt like a real grown-up. It was really strange that I give a shit this much about something like this because I try to be as apathetic as possible. I'm under the impression that I'm going to live longer. but It's our Watergate. It is our Watergate. But it, it, they were explaining, and upon the release of it, a lot of the, the commentary that was swirling around was that Attorney General Barr should not have made that press conference, first mm -hmm. of all. So that's step one. It came, it came to light that the White House had the Mueller report in their possession. Okay, I was waiting for the air conditioner to turn off. But what was I saying? That William Barr wasn't supposed to do that press conference. Yeah, so that was really the thing that threw people off right off the bat, was that he essentially stood there for 25 minutes and defended... President Trump's opinions and feelings on how the report made him feel. Mm -hmm. And it was a really bizarre thing because even not knowing the the contents of the report, he was already setting a, a kind of timeline and reasoning for the things that would be found in that report. So it was a little fucked up and, and something that uh, a supposedly indifferent attorney general is not supposed to do. So is that why people were saying he's not acting like the attorney general, he's acting like President Trump's private counsel? He was a fucking mouthpiece. That's what he was doing. And it was fairly blatant well, because... to be fair, he was appointed by President Trump. Yeah, and this man also has history with this kind of stuff. That was the thing that I was going to research. Yeah, um, I've read that too. That in 1989, uh, it was with Bush Sr. Yeah. Controversy over Iran-Contra, that mm -hmm. might have been... That might have been the one. Walsh complained bitterly about the move insinuating that Bush on Barr's advice had used the pardons to avoid testifying, stating that the Iran-Contra cover-up, which was continued for more than six years, has now been completed. He later wrote an account of the investigation in his book. Because of this and Barr's unwillingness to appoint an independent counsel to look up the second scandal known as Iraq-Gate. So, from what what I'm gathering here in, on Wikipedia, Barr was, was in previously in cahoots with uh, Bush Sr., um, pretty much uh, counseling Bush to to issue pardons mm -hmm. so that they would complicate uh, potential investigations on the uh, Iran-Contra conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so this man sort of has a history of, of that, um, that kind of work. And I believe, and this was corroborated by some of the, the newscasts that I was watching, that... Um, he intentionally put Barr in there because he was the kind of man who would have knowledge on how to handle the, these sorts of difficult situations. Mm -hmm. So he did his job. And I think that he was set up there to handle these proceedings to pretty much back him up. Mm -hmm. And that's been, that's been the, the president's entire plan of attack to try to set to, the narrative. Yeah. To before, set the narrative before the report was released. And, and sure enough, I think that they, because the White House already knew, because they had already had access to this stuff, they were already preparing their case. They were already having full access to, to what was found. 
you're almost like, what the fuck's the point? You know, mm-hmm. when the public gets to find out weeks after the fact, that's when you know something is wrong. Yeah. But also what really struck me about this was that Mueller himself, within the, the report, they included executive summaries. And what those were, um, they were just pretty much excerpts or, or bits that could be made public mm-hmm. for public consumption. That's what they were designed for. And even though that was there, Bard decided to do his, his initial four-page thing. Bard decided to stand up there like a fucking asshole and just go on his spiel mm-hmm. without really paying attention to the things that uh, that Mueller had prepared for public consumption. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Boy. <laughs> so so that's just sort of the beginning of the thing. Yeah. But when you... What, what was your reaction on this? I... Uh... Were you surprised by any of this? Um, I was a little bit surprised about the disarray of the administration that's depicted in the report. I read an interesting article before it came out that said the anxiety within the administration, particularly among the aides and the staffers who testified for the special counsel, the anxiety levels were so high pre-release. Mm-hmm. These people who testified were terrified that yeah. their names would be in that report associated yeah. with what they were saying about their boss. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me because there was so much that was was documented. And mm-hmm. some, some of these interactions were fairly, fairly private because Trump, right from the get-go... He knew that he was in deep, deep shit. I mean, there's that quote floating around where mm-hmm. he he's just flat out saying, I'm fucked. This is the end of my presidency. Yeah. But one of the things that I found interesting, and I I had made a couple of notes. This is actually the first time I've made notes for this goddamn show. So mm-hmm. I'm actually trying to do my homework. But something that I thought was really interesting was that throughout this entire Im- investigation, what we were seeing in the public sphere was that the the council and his aides were just fucking ready to to fuck shit up but president trump's council oh, oh, okay. and his aides and mm-hmm. the people that he, that he had surrounded himself with he pretty much believed that he had a lot of yes men mm-hmm. because that's what he wants that's something that he can use to kind of loyalty. prop himself up yeah loyalty is what he prizes above all else incredibly important to him but the interesting thing about the report is that a lot of these folks are starting to come out in a more favorable light than you would expect. Like there's a, a moment that I was reading in one of the recaps where Sessions recused himself and that just completely pissed him off to no end. Trump. Yeah, that that just sent him over the edge. And there were a lot of these instances where the people around him were refusing to do the things that he was requesting because they knew that it would be that it would be a mess, mm-hmm. that there would be serious repercussions because they knew the obvious that he would be obstructing right. the investigation. Yeah. And so several of his counsel um, refused to take part in that. And that's when some of the firings and resignations started to happen mm-hmm. right off the bat, yeah. which I thought was very interesting where a lot of people, you know, despite their, their character or what they believe in, they were trying to do the right thing or at least help him save himself right. in, in a way. Um, so I well, thought that was pretty interesting. Jeff Sessions is not stupid. <laughs> he did, didn't he want to knows. go to jail. <laughs> yeah, he knew he had no other choice but to recuse himself. Yeah. I, re- I heard on the radio that Jeff Sessions was so 
he was getting berated by the president on such a regular basis Mm -hmm. that he was actually carrying a letter of resignation around with him on his person at all times. (laughs) Like, he was ready to just be like, here you go, I'm done. There you go. This is the worst fucking thing I've ever done. Yeah, like he would just, yeah, he just had that on him at all times. And so there's there's a lot of content that, and, and coming back to it, Right at the beginning when it came out and it was made public, Trump essentially stuck to his narrative that he implanted into William Barr's mouth that he was exonerated and there was no collusion. But the one thing to keep in mind is that Mueller was aware of the rules that the Department of Justice had set that they could not or they did not feel that it was appropriate to indict or pretty much go after a sitting president. But that did not exonerate him. So the whole way that the report was constructed was not to go after him immediately. What he described was, this is going to be a documented account of what happened so that Congress or whatever committee um, has to look into it, like a judiciary committee, can look into it further with their investigations. Yeah. So he's pretty much building this information so that the choice can be made by Congress. Right. And again, this was something that Barr did not allude to, did not bring up once. Yeah. He just said, you know, President Trump's feelings were butthurt that he was being subjected to this investigation and he didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. But the report does not exonerate him. It doesn't innocent. indict him, you know, but it, it does, does not exonerate yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that we're just going to have to wait until after the election. Yeah. That's pretty much what's going to happen. I also read that there's like 14 investigations. Right. Additional investigations that are going on that the special counsel is not involved in. Right. That are all in that report. Like 12 of them are redacted because they're ongoing investigations. Right. And and those were the ones he he did make. The report made those recommendations and that's how they they began. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's just such a shit show. And we haven't even gotten to the Russia thing, which is the pretty much what I was going to say is the first part of that report. It's, you know, 200 pages on just Russia. Mm. And, of course, they didn't find any, any evidence of collusion. But there is documented – there are documented events where you can tell that there there is – you know, from my ignorant eyes, it, it looks like communication. Yeah. But they can't make that bridge happen. Right. You know, they well, and there's, can't make it happen. There's so much other, like, peripheral things, per- peripheral issues re- in in relation to Russia, like the Trump-Moscow thing. Yeah. Like, who was it? Trump Jr. meeting and, with those Russian right. officials. Kushner meeting with those guys. Yeah. Ivanka meeting with yeah. those guys. and... You know, there's this whole emolument issue of Trump profiting off his presidency. Mm-hmm. And it's just... And that was, I noticed, one of the reasons that, that Cohen got in trouble, too, was because he lied about the timeline yeah. of those of those meetings and the, that shared information. Yeah, and that's that's something that, that I've thought about a lot and that they bring up quite a bit when they're talking about... When I, mean th- when I say they, I mean news... The news cycle, NPR, any of the where I'm getting my news, they talk a lot about the lying. You know, okay, so the Mueller report says 
We're not exonerating him, but there's no evidence of collusion, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Why all the lying? Why was there so much being covered up if nothing wrong was being done? Yeah. Well, yeah, it goes back to the same point. Do you think an innocent person upon learning about the report would say, this is the end of my presidency? I'm fucked. Yeah. What kind of response is that to an investigation? Right. And I think all the blustering he's done about it being a witch hunt and he never shuts up about it. And it's just like, why would an innocent person give so much lip service to the fact that they're innocent? Yeah. You know, like if you know you're innocent and you've done nothing wrong, you don't feel the need to constantly tell people that you're not guilty. But I, I should hope that maybe his his fan base is is coming to reason. But who knows? Mm. I think it might be business as usual. Yeah. In my in my like I said, I've said this many times on the podcast before. I have a feeling this motherfucker is going to get reelected, and it'll be business as usual until another five years Mm -hmm. and then maybe there could be legal charges but at that point he might be dead (laughs) i just um i'm hopeful about the election i want to be hopeful about the election because we're rooting for bernie we're gonna take to bernie right now yeah and even even if it's not bernie warren buddha judge um you know there's some prospects it's a, it's a good there's a good amount of of people that that could make the race exciting. But I'm just I don't know. It's Sunday, I'm tired, I'm not feeling very optimistic. Yeah. Had we done the show on Saturday then maybe I would have been <laughs> super excited, but Well, keeping your expectations low means that yeah. you don't get hurt when you're disappointed. I'm cautiously optimistic, but you know, it's Bernie or nothing. Yeah. Let's do this. It's time. It's time, folks. I know it's kind of a somber subject. It to try to, to broach right that. now, but we had to talk about it because it's on everyone's mind and it hasn't left me alone. But I will leave you with this because I thought that this was hysterical. Somebody posted a uh, um, a gif of the uh, the night that Trump was elected, and from that point on, I cannot imagine a more miserable person on this planet than somebody who just got elected to a job they didn't want, and you can see it on his face. When they post the winner of the presidency of the United States is Donald J. Trump and the camera just goes to him. He's sitting there and he's giving Pence this look like, here we go. This is happening. I shit you not. Look it up on the Internet. It is it is amazing. It's like an episode of some weird, weird sitcom. It's incredible. Yeah. But he knows and he made it so, so. He was so open about it that he did not want that job. Yeah. Don't tell me that he wanted that job. <laughs> no, being the president is the least glamorous job possibly ever invented. And he is yeah. all about that glamour. And somebody and somebody commented like, oh, well, imagine that's the look I would get if I was starting to work at 73 or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, because that requires a fuck ton of work. Yeah, that motherfucker yeah. hasn't worked a day in his life. Yeah. It's like, oh. So swindling people is not going to work in this position. Mm. <laughs> or maybe. Maybe I can sell stakes. Maybe it will work. Presidential stakes. Yeah. We'll see. But I, I hope you, you take that image with you. Well, I would propose that we tink 
to all the old people who were afraid they would die before the Mueller report was released. <laughs> I bet they were super happy to at least get to see some of it before they died. Oh, yeah. That was the yeah. thing. The NPR interviewed a bunch of old people who were close <laughs> to death, who, oh were like, who were like in hospice care or or aging. Oh, Jesus. And they were like, I just want to see the Mueller report before I die. <laughs> I just have to know. <laughs> So for those of them, who, those are those are true Americans. For those of them who were who managed to not pass away before the Mueller report yeah. was released, I say we tink to them. Wonderful, heavy tink. I'm sure all those heavy people just uh, sighed a, a heavy relief. Maybe they got through the Russia part, which is the first 200 pages, and then they <laughs> they just faded into, <laughs> into the, the ether. <laughs> Yeah. Into the Sunday evening. You said, I hope all those heavy people. I think you meant old people. Yeah, maybe I was, I was thinking. Some of them are probably maybe heavy. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Infirm. But it's left me a a real sense of, uh, of commitment to what's going on around me. And you know me, I, I, I'm fairly disinterested. Because it weighs heavily on me. And maybe I, I should be more of an advocate about the things that I really care about. But at the end of the day, this is the, the nation that we live in. And, and we got we to gotta believe in it. We got to try to do the right thing. And maybe something something will finally come to fruition because of all the hard work that all these people did putting together this investigation. This report, Mueller and his team. He should get a tink too. Yeah. Because... They've been working their asses off trying to sift through the lies. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, as ordinary citizens, a large part of our responsibility is to stay informed. Yeah. And, you know, yelling at the clouds on Facebook about your political views accomplishes nothing. So I think just as long as you're trying your hardest, trying at least... To some degree, just to understand what's happening and to stay up to date. That's really all you can do. That's the best you can do. And so no matter what side of the political spectrum you're coming from, I hope that the decisions that you're making are those founded on what you believe to be true, what you believe to be correct, and not just regurgitating something that that you've heard. And I'm trying to do that too because, you know, I was watching MSNBC for a lot of it. I love Rachel Maddow and what she's doing. I love, um, you know, Lawrence O'Donnell and um, Chris, what's his name? Hayes. Chris Hayes. I think they do a lot of good work, but there are some moments where I, I feel like they're not, they're not a hundred percent where I'm at mm-hmm. because I, I, I don't know. I, I feel incredibly <laughs> on the fringes of, of the left. Yeah. And I think we have to be careful about, about saying things like what we believe to be true. You know, because yeah. facts are Yeah, that's facts. true. That's true. It's not... It, your opinion doesn't matter. You have to look at the objective truth. What is the objective truth? That is what is important. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and whatever whatever yeah. your personal opinion about Trump is, you don't like his personality, you think he looks, you know, his skin is dumb, whatever, he's old. <laughs> whatever That doesn't matter. You know, what matters is... What is objectively true about what he did and didn't do in these first few years? Because what this report is, 
this is a document of what what happened. It has been corroborated enough that this should be considered the truth. Right. It they, is not it is a factual document. Well, and they wouldn't have put it in there if they didn't have the evidence to support it. Right. So no. That's really as good as it's gonna get. But, you know, truth these days is sort of an ethereal difficult it's an intangible thing. It doesn't seem to be as important as it ought to be. <laughs> Ah, oh, what the fuck? Can we stop talking about this and talk about Beyonce instead? Let's talk about Beyonce and end on a light note. That's how we roll. Tell me about Beyonce. Uh, what does she do, um, you know, for this, some of us who live under a rock? So Beyonce's been around for like 20 years, which is crazy to me. Does she sell fragrances or, or what is she? <laughs> no, she's a hip hop artist. She initially became famous uh, as part of the trio Destiny's Child. Oh, lovely. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how long Destiny's Child was a thing, but eventually Beyonce went on to do her own thing as a solo artist. And she's been doing that ever since. And recently, this past week, Netflix dropped a huge bomb on the world. (laughs) (laughs) The Beyonce documentary, the Coachella Beyonce documentary. So this documentary, it's called Homecoming. And it's a half concert documentary, half concert, half documentary. Okay. The concert is her 2018 Coachella performance. And the documentary is documenting her you know the rehearsal process um and sort of what led her to developing this idea for this performance and and what's the uh the concept of the coachella performance so the concept is homecoming meaning the event at a college when it's like the what is it the first home game of the season is that what homecoming is? sure yeah generally Mm -hmm. so um she gathered this array of these array uh, an array of dancers band players drumline singers mm. and um yeah she gathered them all from historically black colleges all around the country mm. the best of the best and band and dance and greek life is extremely important within the historically black college community So she was essentially building this college concert experience. Okay. That's the theme. That's the... Okay. So so give me your initial uh, takeaway from from the documentary. Like when you first got done watching it, what was the the feeling that it left you with? Awe. Um, It's just, you know, I'm not like a crazy Beyonce fan, but she's been like a constant in popular culture most of my life. Yeah. Which is crazy. Since <laughs> 20 years, I would have been 10 years old, you know, yeah, around 10 or 12 because, years uh, old. And when Destiny Child was famous. Right. And so when I heard this documentary was dropping, you know, I, I didn't really have an intention of watching it initially when I first saw that it came out, but it was like prominent there on Netflix when I got on that night and, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. And so it just, um, 
not only was the performance one of the most incredible concert performances I've ever seen, the documentary portion of it was actually really well put together. And um, I felt like she had a lot of important things to say about motherhood, about representation, about black culture, Mm. you know, and what this performance meant to her on these different levels. And I really was impressed by, you know, the effort that, you know, of course, she's a huge artist. She's clearly doing something right. She knows what she's doing. She's been at it a long time. But the care and the, the effort and the, just the amount of work that she put into it as the, you know, the, the head of the operation. Right. Was pretty incredible to me. And we, we were kind of, you, I sort I sort of came, came at it like a, like a blank slate, like I usually do, because it's not particular my type of music, but I can't deny the impact that this person has on the industry, the, not just the music industry, but the creative industry. She's doing a lot of stuff right now with, you know, the video and, and film medium, mm-hmm. uh, you, you might say online. Pretty much, what did you tell me that she was going to be doing everything as a video concept now too? Like she's going to be releasing albums like that too? Yeah, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case for all her albums to come out now. But like her, the Lemonade album was strictly video. When it was released, mm-hmm. it's just videos. Yeah. So each song is a separate. And music think about video. how how amazing that is. Those videos come out in their statement mm-hmm. and. You know, like when we were watching the Lemonade video, it, it gave uh, the me the formation a, video. Well, we watched quite a few of them. Yeah, a couple of. But them. the um, the impression that I get now is that she is just so far beyond the need to make money, and she's truly just an artist for the sake of being an artist. And I yeah. think that can be the most like exquisite thing that an artist can do is mm-hmm. just art for the sake of art at the level that she's producing and creating work. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, again, not my kind of music, but it's incredibly admirable to see that happen. Yeah. That's I interesting. That's really exciting. I never thought of it that way. But, yeah, she's kind of at that point where the money does not matter like, anymore. It does fucking matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the statement she's making and, yeah. and getting that across in a way that that is effective. Yeah. And we watched the ape shit video, which I hadn't seen. It's been out for like a year more probably yeah and and i gotta tell you that was the greatest fuck you thing i've ever seen it was wonderful it was it was really amazing but it was just saying this is who we are we're here and fuck you yeah you don't like it take it or leave it yeah as for those of you don't know the ape shit video is the video that they shot in the louvre and i don't know i don't know the logistics of how they made that happen (laughs) but i would imagine they said we need the louvre to be empty to shoot this video and i don't care how much money it costs make it happen yeah and at that level of power is astonishing (laughs) like that i don't know what that took because the louvre is a obviously it's a huge institution yeah and it has been for hundreds of years and i'm sure they were compensated very very well for their time yeah but even going in and saying, we need the space for a day. Yeah. Or we need the space for a day and a half. Because they they potentially, I mean, if they had rehearsed and done all that planning beforehand, 
they could have shut it down for like a day. Right. But still. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible resource that you just have at your fingertips, you know, to drop however many millions it took to do that. Yeah. To and, make that happen. And I also think that it was powerful in a couple other ways. It, it was powerful particularly yeah, and, in the fact that to see two black people standing in front of the Mona Lisa, which is... It's a very um, Eurocentric. Very Eurocentric, well, yeah. The, the entire Louvre yeah. is, that's all it is. It's Western civilization in one building. Yeah. You know, like it's Eurocentric Western civilization, I should say. And that was another sort of fuck you element to it. Was like, we're going to take this incredibly white Eurocentric place and we're going to empty it out. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to perform this song which is essentially fuck you we're here yeah and it's taken the flag and and really doing that front and center but i i do want to let you know that that is the grand statement of the piece for Mm -hmm. sure what i was saying is is very much just sort of like the surface level fuck you here's my my beyonce money and you know here comes mr mr beyonce as well (laughs) he's just gonna hang out for a little bit too and here's a couple million from him too Mm -hmm. but that is the true point and definition of what that that piece was all about yeah. is is just making a um yeah making an empowering statement about about race and how how they are at the top of their game yeah another thing we were talking about is that Beyonce and Jay-Z are black hip hop royalty they are royalty. Yeah. You know, and to see somebody, to see people of color at that level with that much money, with that much power, you know, is considering the civil rights movement was only 60 years ago. Yeah. That's in a statement in and of itself. Yeah. You know, of just, you know, of course... You know, we're not saying racism has ended. And this no, is, and you that's know, not it's... the case. But uh, one one thing that, that comes to mind was there was a statement that Jay-Z made where he didn't want to donate money, but he said that he would make an appearance at something, mm-hmm. you know, um, because he said me being there is kind of like charity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were offended by that statement. A lot of people were, were upset that I'm like, dude, you have a whole bunch of money. Why don't you give to these people? Yeah. But in a way, it kind of tackles what you're trying to say that he does feel that he has enough influence and pull and crossover mm-hmm. you know into a mainstream audience that just by him being there mm-hmm. a, certain events can have can have more of an impact than they normally would if yeah. he weren't there yeah. and i don't know if that's right or wrong he probably should have given some money to the <laughs> cause too yeah. but i think he he and Beyonce probably know that is that they're in a position where millions and millions of, of black women and everyone look up to them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the documentary itself though, coming back to that is it's not only is it fun to watch because the concert was just that it was fun. Yeah. Like it was, the dancing was incredible. If you, 
if you're gonna watch it, just watch it for the drum line alone, like the <laughs> yeah. band, the dancing, the music. And um, you could tell they worked really hard on like their arrangements and like you know the songs. The songs didn't sound exactly like the recordings, which mm-hmm. I think is fun. Like I think it's cool that they that they made them a little bit new and a little bit fresh, they make it lively, yeah, yeah, and um. Yeah, and then the, and then the documentary parts of the movie where they were, you know, you're watching them rehearse and you're watching them, you know, you're watching Beyonce like get in like five minutes with her twin newborns and yeah. you know it was um, it was cool. It was cool to like watch them put it together and then to see what all of that work ended up being. Yeah, because it, it's sort of back and forth, right? So you're getting yeah. a sense of. A little bit of rehearsal, then performance, and a little bit of rehearsal. Yeah, so they would do like three or four songs from the concert, and then they would intercut with, you know, rehearsal shots yeah. and stuff. And I love that. I love I love it when they do that because yeah. it, it gives people a sense of all of the effort that goes into those kinds of productions, and it educates people on how important it is to produce something of quality. And I don't know, just people don't get a sense of that, yeah. really. You know, they're just like, oh, they're just up there fucking around. Like, yeah. No, this it's is like, a lot of work. Yeah. Being a p- professional dancer at that level, professional musician or performer, that is an incredible, incredible amount of work. Mm-hmm. So rejoice. Yeah. Throw money at them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, people did. <laughs> All the money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you think? Uh, is this something that you would tink to? Yeah. A heavy tink? Heavy tink to Beyonce. Since I got heavy on the mind. Tinks are heavy. Old people are heavy. (laughs) Well, two out of three ain't bad. As a great meatloaf once said. (laughs) What is it? How many? (laughs) He he had a fraction in there. I can't can't really recall the, the... Two out of three. Let's okay. leave it at that. Okay. But we're going to we're gonna go to bed because tomorrow is Monday and we have to work and it's fucking Easter. So I hope y'all had a lovely, lovely Easter's. I don't want to record on a Sunday again. I don't like this. Yeah, it's it feels I off. mean, I know we didn't have a choice, but. Well, next time we'll get the kid to bed earlier mm-hmm. instead of at midnight. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we will have a successful recording on Saturday night back to business as usual. We're not terrible parents by the way. He just took a nap and then didn't want to go to sleep because he was excited he was excited about the Refused Easter bunny. Refused to go to sleep because of a special appearance by by that Easter bunny. Yeah. Well, that about does it for us folks, but I hope that you had a wonderful time. Subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Helps us out. And we love you all. Have a wonderful night. Good night. Peace.